Welcome to Tactical Recon, the place where we find kingdom-building strategies through scholarship, leadership, and action. And here's your host. Today is Friday, July 23rd, in the year of our Lord's Dominion, 2021. Welcome to Tactical Recon. I'm Elder Paul Coviello. Sitting beside me is my pastor, the Reverend Dr. Paul Michael Raymond. Pastor, we are told by the Lord Jesus Christ to go forth into all the world, and on the basis of his divine, eternal, and ultimate authority, we go forth to confront the culture, to establish and to build his kingdom. It is our right, our privilege, and our responsibility to do so. And based upon your preaching, your tutelage, your work, and the work of those who labor with you, we have established a footprint in our county and a testimony that has received the attention of quite a few people and a very positive impact. And I know as a consequence, you periodically, if not frequently, get calls and emails from people who are anxious to know, what can I do? How do I do it? How do I go about doing what you're doing in Appomattox? Well, we have to remember that we begin with a theological presupposition. We are here in order to change the culture to reconstruct, if I might use that term, the culture Godward, which means that it would then reflect a moral standard, a righteous standard, which is biblical. And so what we do when we get into our local community, and that is where it starts, it starts in the local community. We are seeking to build a covenant community, a community whereby the Church of Jesus Christ, and let me just give a parenthesis here, those who are faithful to the declaration of Scripture, not the churches that have become apostate or heretical, but the true Church of Jesus Christ, we want that church to become influential in the community. And there are ways to do that. There are tactics behind that. And we need to begin in our local community. You said something very, very critical, Pastor, and you and I talk about this frequently. We take as presuppositional that it is our responsibility to rebuild the culture, Christward. You mentioned that we are to reflect moral and righteous standards which are compatible with Scripture that will show forth what is good, what is acceptable in the sight of God, so that we can start to move a community toward the notion or the construct of a covenant community. And you said something I think is also very, very critical to understand in that context. We are to work locally. The focus of our evangelical effort and all of this work has to be in our own communities, not in far-flung places. And I'd like you to elaborate on that because I think that is an incredible thing to, to talk about as we try to drive people toward a notion of what they can and should do. Well, before we get into the tactics and the strategies behind it, let me go back to this theological presupposition. It is a theological presupposition of total comprehensive and enduring victory. Everyone functions at their eschatological level. In other words, they function according to their eschatology, what they believe the last days look like. If you believe that the last days look like a total destruction of Christendom, a total destruction of the culture, then you will function according to that eschatological idea of defeat rather than victory. 
we function from the position of what is known theologically in the theological community as post-millennialism, which means that even though at this point in time, in our time, in 2021, we see the world falling headlong into darkness, our own America is falling headlong into apostasy and wretched wickedness, yet we know that there is a glorious victory at hand because Christ did not fail in his dominion conquest over the earth. Adam failed, mankind fails, Christ does not fail. So everyone functions at their eschatological level, their eschatological, according to their eschatological belief. Now, when you function from the position of de depression because you think that it's all going to fall apart finally, and then Jesus will come again in the clouds of glory to rapture you out. You are then working for victory half-heartedly. I don't care what anyone says. You are still working half-heartedly, and your morale is then, of course, tweaked. It's it's wrong. It's 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 uh it's not as as good as it could be. So the people lose morale, and they're not going to function, as the scriptures say, with a view to victory. That has to be the starting point, so that when you come into a local community, you look for the long term, and, and that's where we find problems. We need to be, and this is the hardest thing for people to do, we need to be patient in the long term, thinking generationally. Now, I would love to see everything happen in my lifetime, and that could be a very selfish, self-centered goal. But if I look at the victory being generational, I'm going to think 100 years, 200 years, 300 years ahead and build from that vantage point. Today, people want to see things right away. We live in a fast-paced society, a, a me-first society, a society where everything is quick. But that is not where we need to function from. We need to function patiently, thinking long-term, which means generationally building an enduring legacy so that over the years, over the decades, we see some progress toward that victory. That's our vision, and our goals are predicated accordingly. There is no denying it, Pastor. For the Christian, there are two options, either the corrupt mind of man or the divine law of Christ. It is a shame to the church that she has abandoned that one principle. And if we are going to rebuild or engage in reconstruction, we have to tear down what currently exists. That is, that which is anti-Christ, and replace it with that which is subordinate to the law of God and that which is glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you said something that I believe stops people in their tracks not only the eschatological view that leads them to conclude that they are simply idly waiting to be delivered from a tribulation to the eternal glory promised in Scripture, but the notion that they are working past their own time on earth, thinking multi-generationally. What happens then when one lacks the patience and the long-suffering to see the work through and, and prepare the generation following is that they do become despondent. They do become idle because they see what they're doing as futile because it's not yielding the results that they think that they should have in this generation. That's a foolish thing to entertain because that's not how God works. We are now some two millennia into the church age building upon the work of our, our patriarchs. 
who during the Reformation hazarded their lives at a time when if anyone could see no fruit in the work that they do, it was them. We have to recognize that everyone functions from a position, from the platform of dominion and reconstruction. Look at in the political arena, what is what does a politician want to do? He wants to take dominion over an issue. He wants to reconstruct an issue, whether it's for good or for evil. You think about just the common family. What are they doing? They're trying to build or reconstruct the things that are wrong in their family and make them right. When you go into your garden, you want to take dominion over the weeds. You want to take dominion over the earth. You want to plant and you want to, you want to purge. Everyone functions from the position of dominion because that's given to us as creatures of God, as those who are created in his image. So everyone's functioning from this dominion standpoint, this reconstruction standpoint. Why not the Christian? for the glory of Christ, for the honor of his crown rights. When Isaiah told the the people of God that they were called to build the old waste places, that is reconstruction. That is dominion. When Nehemiah viewed the wall, he was to reconstruct that which was broken down. That is the mission of the Christian in his own life, in his family life, in the church's existence, and then as the church body, as the individual as well, goes out into the community there to do likewise. So this idea of hiding out and just having having a time in the church and, and building things within the church community without going out into the local community, that is not biblical at all. That is just absolute rebellion. So for a church to hide out in the church, and here's what the problem is. You've got Sunday, you've got Sunday evening, then you've got Tuesday Awana, then you've got a Wednesday night Bible study with a with a meal maybe for the youth, then you have a Friday evening, then you have Saturday at the swimming pool or at the gymnasium that they built, and no one goes out into the world. Everyone's at the church. So they become this 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 ghetto and they're not out in the community. And if they are out in the community, they're just doing things which uh, the local YMCA should be doing. They should be preaching the gospel and, and going out and interacting with the institutions of the community in order to reconstruct those community institutions and those community businesses and everything that has to do with the community in order to bring it to a point of covenant fidelity. Pastor, you just said something, the way you characterize the church, is what I see as part of the problem, because you as a pastor, as a preacher, a teacher, and an author, are addressing the issues and the problems that exist today in a way that so many people will not do. And I see three, three things at work. I see a church that has succumbed to worldliness, which leads to idleness, that is fearful because we're going forth, as you said in your uh, statement moments ago, at a time comparable to the prophets who were called to go out and bring judgment and warning to a holy apostate people as they went forth to the people in Israel and to the people in the kingdom of Judah. And they were going forth knowing, as God told uh, the prophets, like, like Jeremiah, you know, you will go forth and I will send you forth, but they will not hear you. And they went forth nevertheless, and they brought the judgment of God because they first, as is the case with the church today, you need to tear down what is not godly in order to rebuild in a manner that is godly. And frankly, beyond mere fear, 
is an unwillingness on the part of the people in the church to make the commitment to do the work. In other words, it is very, very easy for people in the church to sit back, see what's happening today as some end-of-world scenario that is fulfilling supposed prophecy about gross apostasy before the coming of Christ so that they do not have to go out and confront the Goliath of our day. Yes, interesting you said... And that's a very good point, a commitment. Where, where is our commitment, either as individuals or as a church? The Lord Christ said that he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who desires to lose his life for, the he, for Christ and the gospel will save it. So what are we doing? We're, we're, we're teeter-tottering on, on keeping our life and doing what we want to do and then a little bit for the kingdom of God. But the Puritans used to say very clearly, the Reformers used to say very clearly that Reformation is established not in contemplation, but in action. And that action has to have a goal. And I think that's what is missing from the pulpit. The pulpit is the place to expound the scriptures, apply the scriptures, give that historical analysis, give that ethical analysis, and then give that eschatological analysis in order to challenge the people to do what God has called us to do within the local community. That's important. So yes, I believe we do lack commitment. We are straddling the fence and not willing to go all out for the gospel. And what that's going to result in is another another generation lost, another generation of halfway covenanters, if you will, another generation of those who are sort of Christian, but not really sold out to the Christian life and the Christian, the Christian reality, the Christian faith. So yeah, I, I think we have a real problem here. And uh, I, I, we, we do need to get to, whether it's in this podcast or in, in subsequent podcasts, we do need to get into, after now we've laid out some of the foundation, the, the philosophical foundation of what action really is, we need to get into, okay, what do we do Monday morning? And that's what the pastors are not really teaching. What are you going to do Monday morning when you come out of the church? Because that's the armory of God. That's where you're equipped with the sword of the Spirit, with the application of the sword of the Spirit. And then you're to know what to do Monday morning. But too many people really don't know what to do Monday morning. And the church's mission has been watered down where you find the messages and and I'm going to use this term, not, not in any disrespect, but the messages have become effeminate. A man wants to know what to do. Tell me what to do. Give me, give me a, a, a job and I'll do it. That's all I need. Guys, guys are simple. Okay. People are simple. Tell me what to do and I will do it. I'm not so sure the pulpits are saying what to do. Now they're saying, here's what you do with your family. Make sure you discipline your children. And here's how you are to be obedient in the church. And But they're not telling them what to do when they get out into the marketplace, other than be a moral person. Not to be a dominion man, but to be a moral person. Well, you've got people who are not Christians that are moral people. So what's the difference? The difference is your eschatological presupposition where you're going to reconstruct every aspect of culture, beginning with yourself, then your family, then the church, and then the church as a body and as individuals goes out and makes a difference. That's what Reformation is. That's what Christendom is all about. And that's what Christendom was all about throughout the history of Christianity. 
Yes, in fact, we have not only the biblical record, but the historical record of the church. What our patriarchs did got them martyred. And they were martyred because they would not compromise. They would not turn from the commitment that they saw and understood clearly was God-given and therefore could not be discarded or in any way watered down. And you're right to say that the church has become effeminate. The messages coming from the pulpit breed and continue to propagate an effeminate church. And you spoke about halfway Christian. I think we have to lay it on the line. There are no almost Christians. There is, there is this phenomenon that I've seen over the years where we prefer to cut people a wide wake. Well, so-and-so, he's Christian, he's errant, but you've said it from the pulpit. If it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, and walks like a duck, it's a duck. A man is either a Christian or he is not. And a man who is Christian, by way of the grace of God through the work of the Spirit in him, will embrace the calling. We'll see his work in the context of the post-millennial eschatological view. We'll embrace the notion that his evangelical calling in the world is comprehensive. He will accept the fact that though he may feel fear, that God is his protector. What did God tell Jeremiah? Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. Be not afraid of their faces, lest I confound you before them. And on the basis of that, that, that promise... And the trust that he had. Jeremiah went forth to a people who were not going to repent. We know that from the biblical record of history. And so we have to get to a point where people not only know what to do on Monday morning, but embrace it as their calling. Interestingly enough, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I'll die for Christ. I'll die for Jesus. I'll be martyred for Christ. Fine, great, you know, probably you won't have to deal with that. But those same people, while they say they'll be martyred, they just will not be inconvenienced. It's, it's, that's the problem with Christianity. Another, another point that you made was, you know, people, you know, we, we, we tend to give a wide, a wide swath of, uh, consideration to those who say they're Christian and you get the the comeback, well, we can't judge their heart. Well, we can judge their fruit. We certainly can judge the fruit and the fruit is rotten. The, the core is rotten. The person is rotten. You judge the tree by the fruit. And this idea of fear, you know, you people say, well, I will do this for Jesus. I'll do that for Jesus. You think about what Peter said, I'll die for you. And then he didn't want to confess him. You see, we cannot know courage until we know fear. And when we do finally face fear, we have to step back and lean on Christ and really think about, well, this is God's providence. He's brought me into a position where I'm afraid. How do I respond? When I am afraid, the psalmist says, I will trust in thee. He makes a conscious declaration to himself that when he's faced with fear, when he's faced with, with annihilation, he will, he wills himself to trust. That's Christianity. And that gives you the, the power, if you will, to go and challenge the powers that be. And that's an issue. We have to challenge the powers that be. Unless, because if we don't, we will be swallowed up by the powers that be. We are being swallowed up by the powers that be, as so many people in, in the church know. The people who call you and ask what to do are calling you because they see how desperate things have become. And they're right to identify it as such. And it's refreshing and encouraging to know that they are reaching out to find out what to do. 
And the most important thing to recognize beyond accepting the sovereignty of Christ, his divine protection, the security, and the victory that's already been won, is knowing what to do. And as you, you just said, go to the powers that be. Not everybody has the calling that a pastor has. Not everybody can be president, a senator, a congressman, a state legislator, a governor, or even a county board member. Not everybody functions in the same sphere and, in, and has the same level of reach, responsibility, capabilities, talents, or opportunity. But everybody has the same calling. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are sent out with that calling. And we have some way to reach some people at some level, individually, at a community level, in the churches, amongst the institutions, to start to make that change. Everybody can do something every week. We think that the power base is in the political realm. As you said, governor, senator, congressman, board of supervisors, sheriff, whatever. But that's not true. That's not where the power really resides. It is part of the power base, but it is not the core and root of the power base. The power base, the real hammer of culture, the hammer of the culture is the pulpit. This is God's mouthpiece. The ministers who are faithfully declaring the word of God, calling out the wickedness of the wicked and providing remedies and strategies to overturn the wickedness of the wicked. That's the hammer. The word of God is like a fire and a hammer that breaks in pieces, says Jeremiah. That is what we have to remember. So what we first need to take back is not the political realm, but the ecclesiastical realm. We need to begin to train ministers who are sold out for the gospel, who are absolutely passionate to their very, the very fabric of their being, who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the work of the ministry. And we need to start talking about, as you said, what do we do now? What do we do Monday morning? And perhaps we can do that at another time. Here are the strategies. What we did just now is we laid out the philosophy behind it and why we are going to go into the community locally and start making changes. So what are we going to do about it? How do we begin? Where do we begin? And what shall we be doing? You're absolutely right. And that's why your characterization of the church earlier as the armory of God is so very critical to understand. There is no greater function in our culture than the pastors who preach from the pulpits. They are equipping a church that is supposed to go out and to embrace a comprehensive view of our role in the world. And we are to go forth with the determination that wherever we go, we are going to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ couched in the law of God. Whether we hold men to account or we're calling men to repentance, we go forth. And for that to happen, first, the church has to know her God. The church must know his law, must embrace it, live it at home in the church, and then go forth from the churches properly equipped to do the work of God. But there's more to this, Pastor, and I know you know this. There are parachurch groups, church-affiliated groups, or institutions that also equip the saints that are very critical. I think immediately of the New Geneva Leadership Academy, of which you are the, the dean and founder and one of the principal teachers. We are not just reaching people in the pulpits who are out in the marketplace today. We are also building a generation to follow them. 
in the hope that God will grant his grace upon a generation who will be faithful after us, whose children in turn will be faithful after them. Because as we said at the outset, we're not Christianizing the world in our time. We are taking the work that our patriarchs gave to us. We are doing God's work in our day, and we are equipping and handing off that work to the generation that will follow. There needs to be a time when parachurch organizations no longer need to exist. There needs to be a time when the church becomes everything that it should be. And we wouldn't then need a parachurch organization for this or a parachurch organization for the other thing. We need to make sure that the church is taking upon their responsibility totally in order to make some real significant changes. And that's the goal so that we can address the problems from the pulpit and from the church and then fix what needs to be fixed through the church rather than having to set up these parachurch organizations. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I uh, I may have made a mischaracterization by saying that, but you know, there are places for these educational institutions. And one of the things that has thwarted the church is this ridiculous idea that we are going to send our children off to be taught by the ungodly in the government schools and through institutions that are wholly anti-Christ. And you're correct. The church has to be the hub right. from the which church, the yeah. families mm-hmm. go forth. Yeah. The, the church has failed in its mission. So that's why we've got these parachurch organizations because they're trying to fill the gap that the church has, the vacuum that the church has left. So yeah, I, I totally agree. But that that is where we are now in this time in history. And, that, and that's the, the hand we've been dealt with. Pastor, we've just uh, discussed quite a bit. Uh, It's a lot to digest. Uh, I believe we should continue this in another segment uh, that we'll take up in uh, the weeks following. Uh, Until that time, we pray that this was edifying. We pray that you benefited from this. We enjoyed having the opportunity to talk with you by way of this podcast. For more information, please visit our website, tacticalrecon.org. On Tactical Recon, you will find links to our other sites, such as the Institute for Theonomic Reformation, the New Geneva Christian Leadership Academy, and the Reformed Bible Church in Central Virginia. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you. The Tactical Recon Podcast was brought to you by New Geneva Christian Leadership Academy and the Institute for Theonomic Reformation. To learn more, please visit our website at www.tacticalrecon.org.